Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already, and do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Sir Peter Wanless, Chief Executive of the NSPCC. That's the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. So today we're going to be looking at the work they do. We're going to focus on the legislative success that they've had here in the UK as of late, and also engaging with policymakers, convening and engaging with big tech firms, and how you as an individual or as a corporate can get involved as well. So you're in for a treat. We're going to be learning quite a bit about the work they're doing. And so without further ado, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to see you. We're both here in the UK, so no time difference at all, which is a good thing. Let's start off by finding out what the NSPCC is all about. You're their chief executive. Let's find out what the organization's doing. Yeah, so the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children uh, has a very clear charitable purpose, which is to prevent cruelty to children. Uh, Sounds very straightforward, but when it was founded in 1884, I don't suppose that Uh, the Reverend Benjamin Waugh thought we would still be around grappling with uh, the abuse and neglect of children some 140 years later. But we are. uh, The world uh, changes um, and the NSPCC has reinvented itself many times to try and focus on where and how it can make its most distinct contribution to uh, keeping children safe and helping them recover from abuse and neglect if that is something that they have uh, experienced. So, you know, it's a big problem. People think of us as a significant charity, a household name, but we're tiny in relation to the scale of the problem. So working out how we are nationally significant and locally relevant is what I spend uh, a lot of my time doing yeah and for our listeners from all over the world nspcc based in the united kingdom just to clarify based in the uk and the charitable purpose is to uh, prevent cruelty to children in the uk uh clearly some of the issues and challenges which young people face notably online for example uh, or child trafficking uh, uh, exploitation of young people they can have their roots in Uh, issues and challenges beyond the boundaries uh, of our country. But fundamentally, yeah, we are a domestic charity. And these challenges, I mean, you mentioned your your, uh, track record over 100 years in existence. And you must have seen the landscape, well, not you personally, yeah, but seen the landscape change considerably. You know, you you touched on this online safety, cyberbullying, mental health, you name it, right? Very different world than back then. Give us a little bit of a, of a feel for um, for those challenges that, that you're grappling with. Yeah. So um, uh, at, the, at the moment, the NSPCC has three distinct impact goals where we think we can make a palpable contribution as an organization that is overwhelmingly funded from voluntary donations and is, if you like, a kind of expression of conscience and expertise for children and young people who deserve better. So number one is that we think everyone can play a part in keeping children safe. 
There have been times in the past where the NSPCC has focused particularly on social workers, experts, establishing systems and statutory responsibilities to uh, keep children safe and help them recover from abuse. That's vitally important. Um, but a lot of the indicators around child welfare, well-being, um, child poverty, they're, they're going in the wrong direction. Um, and uh, if the NSPCC just does a little bit more at the margins to help a small number of people fortunate enough to be touched by our services to recover from abuse. That's vitally important, but it's not going to prevent cruelty to children. So impact goal number one, how can we mobilize many, many more individuals and organizations to see what they can do to help keep children safe sooner rather than later so we prevent the abuse and neglect? Number two, online world should be as safe as the offline world. Uh, I've been doing this job for 10 years. That's changed massively even in that time. Children and young people spending much more of their lives online. They don't see a distinction between the online world and the offline world. Um, down the ages, the NSPCC has had all sorts of successes about regulation and legislation to keep children safe from preventable harm. So chokeable parts on toys, um, safety uh, areas around um, playground equipment, etc, etc. As soon as a young person uh, uh, goes online, it's essentially a, a, a wild west. So it's been a big priority of ours um, over this period that I've been the CEO to work out how do we design the fundamentals of child protection into the online world? How do we create the systems, the processes and the culture that keep children safe? Because online life is vitally important to a successful and effective childhood now, just in the way that sport is um, really important. We're not here to be the, the thumb police and stop kids from enjoying aspects of their lives. We're here to try and create the conditions in which they can flourish, take appropriate risks, enjoy life and not be susceptible to preventative harm. So that's number two, online world as safe as the offline world. And then number three is that all children should be able to speak up and uh, know what to do if they have a worry or a concern and adults know what to do should that happen. So the NSPCC runs Childline, which is here 24-7 uh, for any young person who feels they have nowhere else to, to turn. And that's an expression of us saying to young people, you, you should all feel that you've got options. And if you're anxious or concerned uh, or being abused or neglected, uh, there should be safe adults uh, around you. And we will work with professionals and uh, families and communities to raise their skills and awareness under the first impact I've described. Um, but ultimately, we're also there as Childline to listen and empower young people to see they have options and to help them be the best version of themselves they can be so 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 that's our strategy mission prevent cruelty to children impacts everyone can play a part in keeping children safe online world is safe as the offline world all children should be able to speak out heard and understood sounds simple um 
Well, simple is good. Simple is good. And I'm glad you're recapping that, you know, in terms of everybody being able to play a part, the online being as safe as the offline. And on that point, two things come to mind. One, just reading an article the other day about apparently a sexual assault that happened in a virtual world. Yeah. And interesting how the law might grapple with that. And also we've just at the tail end of this pandemic, but again, so many people being cooped up inside and online being much more of a prominent component, right? And still being. So everybody playing a part, the online being as safe, and then children having a voice and being able to speak up. Perhaps drilling a little bit on that digital side, that that second one. Yeah. Give me some of your thoughts on there. So so firstly and fundamentally, uh, we were determined that there should be uh, a legal and regulatory framework uh, online that that mirrored the fundamentals of the offline world. And we, we were seeing all sorts of preventable abuse uh, of children you know looking looking back a few years um kids kids going online and immediately betraying their geographical location without realizing it uh teenage girls and this still happens to a degree being befriended uh immediately they go online by people pretending to be uh someone that they're that they're not um patterns of grooming behaviors which if they were um uh people trying to um, defraud us of our money. There were all sorts of engagements and interventions which the companies and law enforcement were becoming increasingly sophisticated about, but with our children, not quite so much. So um, we were, there had been 12, I remember going to a meeting about five or six years ago with the government that had been 12, 13, 14 self-regulatory codes that the industry had signed up to to help keep children safe online and just asking the question what is it that makes you think that the 15th self-regulatory code is going to be any different from the uh, from the from the last ones and so it was a ambition and a campaign of ours to regulate the internet which is quite a big ask of a conservative government um, in the UK, but um, there's a lot we knew. We had the public um, on our side. We had very strong voices of children and young people saying, we don't want to be shut off from the internet. There's amazing things we can benefit, but we have rights um, to, uh, uh, to to be safe. So um, there was a commitment to introduce um, uh, online safety regulation uh, legislation complicated um challenging um, and then at the same time all sorts of um issues to do with child welfare and well-being that people were interested in how how long should a kid be be online what about these programs that are creating um uh playing on addictive behaviors and all of that and we had to be really disciplined as a, as a child protection charity we kept just bringing back to, you know, whether someone's online one hour or 23 hours is a secondary consideration to is other basics of child protection designed in. And a piece of legislation is not going to solve the Internet. So bringing people back again and again to let's keep talking and thinking about child protection. The government published a, uh, a bill uh, and the NSPCC had written six tests as to what we thought would constitute effective legislation because i used to be a civil servant um, i've seen enough bits of law 
past to know that actually bad law is can be worse than no law at all. So we didn't just want an online safety act. We wanted it to meet these six particular tests. And when the first bill was published, it met one and a half of the six tests. So the NSPCC then campaigned ourselves and with other um, you know, like-minded, tremendous people in Parliament um, and beyond other charities to try and knock that piece of legislation into shape. And the final act, which has now passed, uh, meets five of the six tests. And we're really pleased about that. Um, so that's evidence of charitable endeavour and civil society, you know, mobilising itself to influence principles and also influence detail. Um, now, Ofcom, who are the regulator, are issuing literally thousands of pages of guidance to um, interpret this legislation. So in one respect, the job has only just started. Um, but from our point of view as a charity, it's a really liberating and interesting moment because having established the principles, I want us to, of course, influence the regulator to make sure that what underpins it is really good. But we can also now, I think, start to have um, more interesting conversations with the tech companies themselves about how do you get ahead of what's being required here? How together can we co-produce uh, services, tools, which give some thought to the fundamentals of, of child protection? Because what we really want is to help them design the basics of child protection into the amazing, you know, innovative services which they are developing rather than reacting to um, tragedy. And unfortunately, that has been the story of uh, children online for for far too long. You know, people aren't setting out to create services which um, desperately damage children um, up to the point of some of them, you know, taking their own lives or, or being murdered. Um, but uh, if you don't um, think about the design uh, of the services and, and monitor and intervene where there are obvious patterns of predatory behaviour and abuse, that I'm afraid is going to be the consequence. And when that happens, then um, everyone wants to, you know, pick up the pieces and do the best they can. But um, when it comes to innovation and children, you can't make progress by breaking things because our children are too precious so that's the that's the opportunity i think we've got now that having been for all good reasons concentrating on government and the fundamentals of the of the regime now we are um, looking at how we can engage more broadly with industry and other partners and and, and what does the nspcc know about this we're not tech experts we're not innovation experts but we understand children and child protection and the models of crimes against children which to be honest haven't changed that much since 1884 and we are really close to and connected to children themselves so we're hearing every day via childline 
from children and young people about what their worries and their concerns and their anxieties are and, and what they are experiencing. So we can bring those voices uh, to the table and, and hopefully create um, an environment in which um, many people are more sensitive to the perspectives of children um, and the child protection risks in what they are developing. Yeah. It's uh, heartening to hear the uh, progress that you're making on the legislative front. Not easy to do. You do have a very high-profile brand and a very good brand in the UK. So I imagine it's easy or perhaps easier to, um, to get the attention of policymakers in the, in the UK and hopefully at, at least get them to listen. On that point that you touched on also regarding engaging with those tech firms, let me ask you about that. How easy or difficult was it, is it, to engage with them, to educate them on your uh, understanding of the world and also learn from them, right, in terms yeah. of their their understanding uh, of the tech space and conceivably also leverage some of their technology to protect children, right? Yeah. Because that should present some opportunities as well. Big question, but there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, and and I I felt differently about that at different times um, on this this journey. So, at his worst, there have been moments when I have sat in roundtable meetings with uh, uh, corporate affairs people from these massive companies and felt extremely patronised. You know. Thank you for your remarks. Yes, of course, we understand. Yes, you're a very important organization and you do brilliant work. And thank you for continuing to do that. But actually, nothing happens and nothing changes. And these people aren't necessarily empowered to make a change because they'd rather have self-regulation to regulation. Now, as I say, we're, we're, we're beyond that now. And it's how do we make the best of the regulatory regime and there'll still be you know there'll still be attention there and it's our obligation and responsibility to speak up for children and what they are experiencing so you know i i i'm delighted when some of these companies make their presentations to the nspcc about the distance they've traveled and how much safer their products and services are now than they were three, four, five years ago. But my goodness, pretty much every illustration that they give to us <laughs> has been won through gritted teeth or the, 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 the death and negative impact on children. So it has felt like a sort of battle against the odds rather than a co-produced preventative uh, regime, which is what we really want to see. That said, um, also come across you know amazingly good people who want to be the best they can for uh, for children and when we sit down and have the conversations and design things together from an early stage you know anything is possible it hasn't been comfortable necessarily you know if I, if I were in their job would I want to bring a campaign in children's charity into the heart of what my algorithms were doing and the services that I was developing um uh probably not um wouldn't be my first place to go but now that it's legally required to 
give consideration to the fundamentals of child protection, we can articulate what some of those safety by design principles might be. And we have access to children and young people who can vocalise um, what's happening to them. So that's another frustration to me when you get the kind of presentation about, well, we have this um, age uh, limit on our service and yet lots of young people are saying to us well we're on the service and that's and that's and that's nonsense so um there there there, there are uh, opportunities there are an increasing number of people now who are interested in designing a better online future for children and and, and young people and the nspcc wants to be part of that conversation so we've we've created a, a task force a child safety online task force um, which is uh, being mobilized by a fantastic woman called Diala Klatt and uh, she's uh, collecting people from um, uh, industry and, and, and regulation and, and, and folks with fascinating um, you know networks and ideas about how like-minded people can make things better for children and do you know what that's in that's in the best traditions of the nspcc we, we are fundamentally um volunteer uh enabled uh, and there are all sorts of campaigns and issues in our past that have brought together people from all sorts of different walks of life and the only thing that unites them is a desire to make things better for children and, and and that's very much the kind of culture of this nspcc family and something as a leader you know i i really enjoy trying to bring together these coalitions of people with very different experiences and, and perspectives simply united by how can we make things better for children and, and that's very often where the the magic comes from so focusing on the regulator enabling a, t a task force of like-minded people to come together and look at how directly or indirectly we can insert ourselves into safety by design in the industry and then creating this platform for the voices and perspectives of young people themselves to be central in this debate Absolutely. i said earlier on we i said earlier on that we got five out of the six what's this test yeah what's the sixth so the one that we failed to get written into the regulatory regime was um a voice for children so in a number of regulatory environments you have bodies which are funded from the industry which represent the consumer perspective and we argued that there's the consumer perspective of children should be written into um, the legislation because as the regulator takes their work forward you can be absolutely sure that these massive global companies are going to have very very deep pockets to uh, employ all sorts of people to say how the world looks from their perspective um, we want to make sure that the real um, the real time experiences of children are present in that debate so we didn't we didn't win that one but there was a lot of discussion about it as the bill went through i have great confidence that ofcom 
the regulator from the top down appreciate the value of that. And we as a charity had a, dis had a discussion with our trustees about what is the NSPCC's unique positioning now the legislation is there that gives us particular strength and credibility. Um, we decided it, it was that association with the children and young people themselves. So our ambition in the coming period is to be uh, famous for and really excellent at ensuring young people are um, having their say as the regulator both develops its codes of practice and investigates what's going on online. Must be incredibly rewarding. Uh, what keeps you busy day in and day out, despite it being a sober, sobering topic, uh, but it must be incredibly rewarding. You touched on that enabling component of your day-to-day, -day, that leadership component. What's life look like for you? You show up at the office on a Monday morning, on a Wednesday morning. What's is there an average day? Is there such a thing? Uh, there isn't really. I love the I love the variety and the and the diversity of the job. And I'm in awe of some of the kind of practitioners, both employed and volunteers, who are engaging directly with children and young people uh, all the time. I chair something called the Childline Advisory Board, which is a kind of cross section of people from the various childline bases and 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 and, and roles. And it's just a privilege yesterday to join their conversations about how they can show up and be the best they can for young people and help young people genuinely feel like someone is listening to them for the first time. It's, in, it's incredibly skilled uh, work and a privilege to be associated with. And I sort of feel I couldn't do it. Um, so, so there's something about practice and association with with practice that i enjoy seeing um as as part of this job we're, we're a complicated organization 1500 staff um, depending on your definition six to eight thousand volunteers as i said earlier we're overwhelmingly funded from voluntary donations so year after year after year we're having to raise 115 120 million pounds um that's a that's a lot of money to raise um again and again um but but fascinating again in terms of how we connect with and inspire uh organizations and individuals to appreciate the um the urgency and the importance of of what we're up to you you referenced earlier you know we are we are a well-known um, brand and that does give us strength in terms of our national significance but i do worry also it, it risks downplaying the jeopardy um, we may not be here um, forever but we do depend on the generosity and the skill of our volunteers and, and and partners and i think quite a few people imagine that we're funded by the government or you know there's a there's an authority to our presence which doesn't necessarily do justice as i say to the the fragility and the jeopardy of um the nspcc um as a as an entity so i'm, I'm always kind of 
in the market for ideas and suggestions about how we can strike the right balance there and and, and also build that sort of sense of relevance and association with 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 many more people people who know us and come across us i would say overwhelmingly love us but it is a strategic challenge for the charity that not enough people are spontaneously thinking about the vital importance of child protection um, at the present time and you know there are a lot of there are a lot of reasons for that there are a lot of good causes there are a lot of pressures on people's lives whether it's cost of living um global crises in other parts of the world um but this um abuse and neglect of of children remains a really far too big um an issue uh, for this country and many others and the frustration is that a lot of it can be prevented absolutely it's good you're highlighting the fact that you're out there uh, fundraising as well and dependent on the generosity of folks everyday folks and uh, as a former director of fundraising and development myself i think the squeaky wheel gets the oil so the more people are aware of it the better and the easier you make that user journey for folks the better as well so on that point on that note um where should people go if they want to be philanthropically engaged with you and also if they want to learn more about how they can partner with you whether as individuals or corporates how they can volunteer how they can become better informed on the policy and simply getting engaged and being involved that first pillar that first impact goal you know everybody should be involved not just a uh, a school teacher yeah well the the easiest way to donate is simply to go to the nspcc website and 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 donate and like all charities no strings attached donations are are the best especially if they're regular donations because you can plan future services and campaigns uh against um regular givers so a kind of huge shout out to everyone who has a direct debit relationship with the nspcc because we can't function without um uh, people like you in terms of finding out more about how you can get involved um we have uh on the website a, a a kind of shop window for potential employees and for potential volunteers and you can put in your postcode there or the things you're interested in and find out more about what we're up to and hear from people in their own words who work or volunteer for us about what it's like to be at the nspcc and and what's special about us if you are a professional um, uh, or a, uh, uh, an individual who wants to learn more about how to keep children safe there's a platform called nspcc learning um, and that has a ton of uh, options and opportunities um, uh, many of them free some of them you you, you pay for um, to improve your safeguarding skills and expertise so that's where i'd start probably nspcc website and um, nspcc learning wonderful absolutely wonderful now before we part ways today um, what's that key takeaway you'd love for uh, for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode we can all play a part in keeping children safe and if you're not sure what you could do then um yeah take take a look at the take a look at the website because simple 
things which look up and look out and listen uh, to children are at the heart of a society that listens to and, and supports its its young people. Wonderful. Peter, thank you so very much for joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure, very insightful, and, uh, and I hope those listening uh, take the time and the effort to visit your website and learn a little bit more about the work of the NSPCC. Thank you. Thank you very much. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Sir Peter Wanlis, Chief Executive of the NSPCC, the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. For information about this conversation and more than 250 other interviews and case studies with remarkable thought leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at lij.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Thoroughly enjoyed producing today's show for you, and I look forward to catching up with you this coming Monday. Monday.